Welcome to Living Chassidus. Together, let's live the Chassidus we learn. Okay, so it's Yud Shvat. This is the day, right? Yud Alav Shvat. When the Rebbe says the first Mimer of Basilagani, gives us our marching orders of Deir Hashvi, of, this, of our generation to actually finally bring Mashiach, right? That's what the mission is. So it's very, very straightforward, very clear. And um, the, the incredible part of the day is how, the, from one perspective, is that the Rebbe agrees to become our Rebbe and um, the Nasi of our generation. And I guess from our perspective, there's also the opportunity for us to commit for, for us to be the Rebbe's chassid. So we know what the mission is. We know that the Rebbe's made his commitment. I guess from our perspective, it's about us recommitting to the Rebbe's, to the Rebbe. And um, when we speak about his kashros, for some reason, known to the Yitzhahara, he, he gets into our bones and he makes us feel like it's much more difficult today after Gimel Tamos to be Mekusha to the Rebbe than it was before Gimel Tamos. Anybody ever felt that way before? But the truth of the matter is, it's, it's, it's really a trick of the Yitzhahara. It's obviously not true. There's no question that the people today and the skashas that we have today is much stronger than before Gimel comes, right? It's self-understood, but just to, to bring it to life in a real way, some people feel like, oh, when I was by the Rebbe, by the Fabrengen, I got a dollar, I got Kishol Bracha, shook the Rebbe's luluv, especially right in front of the Rebbe, By a kafis, got a contras. And all these experiences. And of course, when you had all of that, in Yechidis, I was able to go into Yechidis, have a private Yechidis with the Rebbe. Of course, then it was, Skashras was so much more real. If you think about it like, from a practical perspective, you could see the Rebbe, you could hear the Rebbe, you felt connected to the Rebbe. Now it's after Gimel Tamos, or we go to 770, how am I going to be Makusha? But really and truthfully, it's absolutely not true. When I say absolutely not true, I don't, I don't mean that it's, it could be true. It's a little bit true. It's so untrue. Because in today's day and age, the reality on the ground is we see and feel how the Ahiskashus to the Rebbe today is far and beyond the Ahiskashus from before Kimmel Thomas. Is anyone that feels that this makes sense? Yeah? yeah. I mean, being born after Gimel Thomas, it's all new. Like, it's not that I've never gone to dollars. So you're saying there isn't what to compare it to. 
like I all I know is like everyone else was so lucky that they were able to be there in person. And yeah, you're right. There is a difference between being in person and not. So on one hand, you can think that when you're there in person, you're together with the rabbi, your iskashas is so much stronger, right? Yeah. But in reality, our iskashas today is actually much stronger than it was then. You can't compare our iskashas that we have today <clears throat> to the iskashas that they had then. Why is our iskashas today stronger? If they actually saw the Rebbe and they were felt when the Rebbe's presence in that kind of way, why is our iskashas today stronger? Maybe because he isn't in one place. So we can feel him like anywhere. It's more innocent. No. Sorry? It's more innocent. Nowadays. What do you mean by innocent? Like it's like if we really, really thought about it too much, we wouldn't have it. So <laughs> it's more innocent in the sense that like it's more, it's more, it's coming from a deeper place. That like you don't, it's coming from like a soul, from an innocent place versus like your mind or whatever. I like, I like the word this, coming from the soul. If you think about it, when it comes to hiskashras, let's speak about connection, okay? Now, this connection, especially between two people, is not made like the way you connect two pieces of wood. When you have two pieces of wood, you want to connect them, you use a hammer and a nail. When you want to connect people, you don't use hammers and nails. Not a good idea. What to drill, drill a hole in them and make it put a bolt in, you know? That doesn't work. Gluing people together doesn't work. Tying people together doesn't work. Sometimes you can try and take two people and stick them into a room and tie them together. It doesn't necessarily make them connect and build their connection. So when it comes to people in general, what makes a connection? Not talking about anything spiritual. Regular to human beings. It's not the bolts or the or the nails or the screws or the or the rope or the glue. What is it that makes a connection between people? It's a soul connection. The way that you feel when you're interacting with that person. So when a person, when you interact with a person and you feel connected to them, right? You, there's a feeling of connection. Does that happen with every person you meet? No. Sometimes we can have what they call an allergic reaction to people, right? Mm -hmm. Does it happen because you happen to be living in the same bedroom as them? Not necessarily, right? So what is it that builds a connection between two people? How does that connection form? How does it build? What are the tools that we have that can actually build that connection? A lot of times it's like when you go through something difficult together and like you're both stuck in the same boat, it's like you kind of like have to, I don't know, make it work. So that's a very good 
a very true point, but I want to analyze that for a moment. What is it about that situation that you're in together <coughs> that you're experiencing? And because you experienced that together and you got through it, did it make you closer? Empathy. Understanding that somebody. Understanding. <clears throat> if you, if a person feels understood, right? Empathy is much stronger than understood. But at least if a person feels understood, that creates a connection, right? When you, someone, you feel like someone has empathy for you, that creates a stronger connection. So people, let's call it, have a need to feel understood. You ever try to speak to somebody and they like, yeah, 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 but you realize they don't get what you're saying. As they say, they were listening, but they didn't get you. And that doesn't create a connection. Obviously, if a person doesn't listen, then they can't get you. Listening is a step in the right direction. <clears throat> but if you don't listen, if you listen and then you feel understood, and even more so when you feel that the person's empathizing with, empathizing with you, then you're starting to build a connection. So if you think about it, when you're having a conversation with somebody and the person actually listens, that's a good step. They're using their ears to connect with you. When they think about, they use their brain to think about what you're saying and why you feel the way you do, then you're connecting on a brain level. Not just your ears are connecting, your brain is connecting. And when they em emphasize with you and they actually feel what you feel, now you're connecting on a heart level. So your ears, your brain, and your heart are now getting connected. Does it make sense? <laughs> Not like holy spiritual, very practical, down to earth, any kind of interaction relationship. When a person, on the contrary, doesn't listen to you, you don't feel heard, or the you, or even if you feel heard but you don't feel understood, and sometimes even worse when you person that hears you and understands you, that doesn't really care. That doesn't create a connect a positive connection. That can create a negative connection, right? because you don't care about me. So going back to what you were saying about being in a situation together, because you're in it together, you're listening to each other. You're understanding each other. You're feeling for each other. It's creating a connection. Make sense? Mm -hmm. What else makes a connection with a person? Giving and receiving. So you can be in the same boat with each other. You can listen, understand, and empathize for each other and really care about each other. But it doesn't mean you're going to do anything for each other. When you start the giving point, when you actually do something for somebody, sometimes you that person feels cared for because you've done something for them. Or even listening to somebody. So the, le the, the, the listening could be what they need. You're fulfilling their needs. So we're going to change it now based on what you just now said from giving to actually fulfilling that person's needs. If that person needs money and you give them money, 
that could be very helpful and meaningful to them. If that person needs your time to listen to them, sometimes a person doesn't need even to feel understood, they just don't need someone to listen to them. Sometimes they need to feel like someone cares about them. So you're really, we're going back now to a deeper level is you're actually fulfilling that person's needs on depending on what level it may be. To be heard, to be understood, to be cared for. Sometimes they need a few dollars. That's what they need. So basically when you're fulfilling that person's needs, you're building that connection because that person feels cared for. And they feel like, wow, that's amazing that you're, you all care about me. What else builds that connection? Sorry that I'm making this very mundane, but I think that this is really what makes what this is all about, the living chassidus, it makes it real. We don't want to just learn about something on an esoteric level. We want to be able to connect with it in a very real way, tangible way, that makes us gaseous from something esoteric and <coughs> something very real. So what else creates his gashos, creates connection? You have something in common? Oh. If you look around at your friends most of your life, they weren't random people. They were either people like we just spoke about, who you felt like they would listen to you. They would hear you out. They would care about you. And that's one of the things. Or you had something in common. Now, fascinating, they may not listen to you. They may not hear you and care about you. <laughs> it may not. But because you have this something in common, you feel there's a certain connection. Because you both now care about the same thing. So you're feeling that connection because you and her, him and him and her, him and her or him and him, whoever they may be, are feeling the connection because they both feel a care, I should say, about the same thing. That's an amazing, amazing point. And that really builds a connection. And maybe sometimes you even enjoy each other's company when you're both, let's say you love art and you both draw together. That can create a good feeling because I enjoy the art. And she's enjoying the art. So we're both connecting on that level by both doing what we enjoy. So you're not actually doing anything for each other. It's not the giving. It's not fulfilling their need. It's allowing me to feel good about what I enjoy. Amazing. What else builds connection? I think when we started, we never thought, imagined we could have actually got into this kind of clarity of what creates a connection. It's really cool. I'm sure we can get more. Effort. Effort. That's definitely something that's appreciated by somebody when they feel you're making an effort for them. Right, and if even one side doesn't care or neither of them puts any sort of effort to like, I guess, even meet the other person, then you won't have that. So there's a certain element over here of what we're speaking about when it comes to effort, that in order to build a relationship, you've got to put in work. Call it effort, work, right? Same, like, that's the concept. If you, a person feels like someone else is going to 
this want this relationship this to boom to happen it's almost like expecting okay boom the house is going to form by itself and i don't know why it's actually fascinating that really to some extent in our relationships sometimes we do expect that to happen one second i married you or i've been your friend all of this time or whatever it may be and like how come we're not this, this, this relationship is just not fostering and what's, it, it, what, what's wrong? You know, you can have a boy and a girl, a bacher and a girl that will go out with each other and they suddenly go on a date. You know what happens when you go on a date? I can't tell you because I went, when I went on dates, we didn't have it. But I'm imagining that in the, if you went on a date, the first thing that you would do is you would go like this. I'm imagining. Maybe in today's day and age, even that doesn't happen. I don't know. But I'm imagining that if you went on a date, before the date, you would turn off your phone. And then what would you do? You would focus on each other because you've turned away their distraction. You're focused on each other. You're going to work on building this relationship. You're going to spend time listening to each other about things that are what's important to you, what do you care about? And hopefully you'll share with him, he'll share with you. And as you do, what are you doing? You're listening. You're also hopefully paying some interest into what they're saying. You're not just listening, you're actually thinking about what they're saying and showing some kind of care about what they think and what they feel. And as you do, and you go on one date and another date, start to build a connection. The next thing you know, you're married. You're busy, she's busy, everyone's... When was the last time you went on a four-hour, five-hour date? (laughs) With your phone off. (laughs) Completely disconnected from everything else. That unbelievable focus. And actually listening and not complaining or quetching, but actually like showing that you care. But then the question, the obvious question is, why don't I feel that kind of, if you want to call it excitement and connection and that I was feeling when I was dating? What, what changed? What, what's the difference? So why is it that when I was dating, I felt so connected to you. Now I'm married, living in the same room, and I don't feel that connection. So you, 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 there were certain practical things that you did that built the connection then. And now you, you don't have those things. Now, you're, now there isn't the focus. <laughs> Now there's all the distractions. Now there isn't the time that you're that you're listening. Now you're not listening. Now you're not focused. You're not caring as much. So how are you going to build that connection? So if you understand what his kashrus means, what it means to build a connection with somebody, then you don't have that question. You never have that question. Well, why is it that I don't feel connected now like I used to? What effort 
are you putting in? What work are you putting in to make that connection? It doesn't happen by itself just because you happen to be living in the same. And this is the reason why I was started off saying that when we were in the position, when we were in front of the Rebbe, and we saw the Rebbe, and we felt the Rebbe's wave of his hand, and so on and so forth. Oh, we took it for granted. We felt like, oh, the connection's going to build, because we're listening, because we're zoomed in and focused for five hours as you talk by Fabrenian. That was a date. It was a date night that we were zoomed in, focused, nothing else going on, sit, sit there, squashed with one focal point, listening, and then you hear the Rebbe talking and with passion and really pouring out his heart and you're actually taking, in, taking it in. Okay. So that <clears throat> would build the connection. In today's day and age, you don't have that. When you walked into the Rebbe, and the Rebbe was in Yechidus with you, so the Rebbe would, you would talk. The Rebbe would listen like a loving father. And the Rebbe would respond. You wrote a letter. The Rebbe you wrote back a letter to you. That was a connection. There was someone listening, somebody responding, someone showing they care. You don't have that now. So where is there a real Eskashus? Before Gimel Tammuz or after Gimel Tammuz? Anybody? After. After. Both. Both. Yeah, it's about the way. The nature in which you're like all these things that you're mentioning, so that's whenever it's added to often. So, so in other words, you could have been in a situation in a st state of mind before Gimel Thomas where you were present physically, but you weren't present emotionally. You could have been there, you could have been by the Fabrengen and not been there. In the Rebbe's words. There was times that ever spoke and said that the people who are closest to me are the ones who are furthest away in Australia. They're actually closer to me. The Rebbe was telling us then that you can be here in the presence by the Vabrengen and but not be close. And you can be in Australia and at those times not even be able to hear the Rebbe, forget about seeing the Rebbe, and could be very close. And that's the same true with any friendship. You can have a friend who lives on the other side of the world. And you're so close with them. And you could have somebody who's your roommate and not feel close at all. So connection we've established in a very, very mundane, if you want to call it in practical level, comes from the effort that you put in and the work that you put in to building that connection. That's what it comes from. Sometimes when it's your roommate, it's like they don't put in the effort because they're right there. Like you don't realize somebody's far away. You're like, oh, if I want to keep the connection, I really have to work on it. So you're like more conscious of it and you're putting more effort 
because they're further away. And then ultimately, you gain a stronger connection. So it gives a lot of clarity why you can have people today who never heard their Rebbe, who never saw their Rebbe, but they have such a strong connection. Because they're actually not taking, they know they can take their Hizkashros for granted. They understand that in order for them to have Hizkashros, they're going to have to work hard. Like you just said. So the first thing that we really, really are clarifying is, just to summarize, that Hizkashros, in English, building a connection to the Rebbe, you don't do it with a, with, a, with a hammer and nails or with a screwdriver or with the bolts or with glue or with ropes. And that's not how you build a connection with people. That's not how you build a connection with the Rebbe. And when you build a connection with people, we went through very practical tools. It's not, we first of all, established, you, we're not going to go in the order that we went, but I'm going to go in summary order. We, we have to put in effort. It doesn't happen by itself. If you want to build a connection with a person, you have to be focused on them and what they want and what they care about. You have to be prepared to listen. You have to be prepared to not only listen, but understand them, get them. And then when you connect with them to the point that you actually care about them and you'll go out of your way to do what they want, you can build a connection. And that's very simple, <clears throat> right? Not, not esoteric, not spiritual, very practical. And like I said before, when it comes to the Rebbe, the Rebbe talking to us, how much do we zoom in and listen? It could be a four-hour fabrengen, sitting down and watching a video and listening. It could be opening a Lakota Sichas and learning the Sicha, but not learning the Sicha as, as something, if you want to call it, I'm learning a Sicha now. No, I am now going to listen to the Rebbe talking to me. I'm reading a letter and I'm listening to the Rebbe talk to me. I, I'm going to not only listen and hear what the Rebbe is saying, but I want to make sure I understand the Rebbe. And that's a different sicha. Totally different sicha. That's the difference between listening to somebody, as they say in Yiddish, herin, and derher. The difference between listening and hearing or actually understanding what they're saying. How many times was there a situation in your life where you wish somebody understood you? Just wished there was somebody in the world who just could understand what I'm going through. And if somebody, if you may be more painful than not having somebody who understands you is actually having somebody that will listen and you bear yourself to them and you feel like they didn't get me. It's painful. It's hard. Why? Because you only shared to listen 
so someone should understand you. And then sometimes, maybe even worse, when the person understands you, but you feel like they do not care. So you got past the first stage, someone listened, they actually understand you, and sorry, that's life. Maybe Chavches Nissen was the Rebbe turning around to us and saying to you guys, I'm talking to you and you're listening and you're writing it all down. You don't get me. You don't get me. I know you listen. You're a good student. You sit there and you write notes and you can repeat verbatim every word that I say. And you even do what I tell you to do. But you don't get me. You don't feel the pain that we're in Galas. It's okay for you if Mashiach didn't come yesterday, if he doesn't come today or tomorrow. You'll scream at Masai because I told you to, so you listen. You don't, you don't get me. I've tried for 40 years to sit here and explain to you what Galas is, what Go'ala is, where our real place is, where we really belong. And you, you just, you're just comfortable in Galas. You're in a Galas ruchnim and a geta avedas Hashem. You're just comfortable in Galas. If you weren't, if you really cared to get out of this place, you would tear the walls down, and a Mashiach would be here. But, but no one gets me. That's what the Rebbe was telling us. Makes sense now that sicha. Makes a lot of sense. He wasn't coming complaining and saying, you know, like no one cares, no one's interested, no one does anything, no one listens to me. No, just the opposite. You listen, you write it down, you scream and shout, Admasa, because I told you to, but you don't get me. I'm a person who grew up with a state of mind that this is not the right place to be. <laughs> Call us is not where we belong. This is not where a Jew belongs. I've always been looking forward, since I was a kid in Chedra and before, I've been looking forward to this moment where there's a Melach, a Jewish king who rules over the whole world. Everyone in the world follows what the Abishtah wants. The, the world the way it's meant to be. And you are just, you're okay with living the way the world is now. You'll even scream at Masai because I told you to. That's also part of what your culture has become great. But you don't get me. How do you? I'm not discussing your feeling with the Rebbe. You want to connect? You want to feel close with somebody? What's the common denominator? Right? The same way we spoke about two people who enjoy art and they'll sit together. There's a common denominator. What's the common denominator between you and the Rebbe? So if we look at his gashos from a very simple, mundane level, how much do we focus on, on what the, on, turn off the phone and focus, zoom and have your date night with the Rebbe where you listen? conclusion to uh, like what was or, I mean I know everyone was discussing it and people came to her but like 
what was actually what's your interpretation of what like whether I would say the same thing now like what's the actual conclusion to that like what did what did the Rebbe want us to do besides for being more sincere well, what he wanted us to do was very clear that part's the easier part of what you're asking to answer he wanted that? us to as he's told us to learn in Yonikola Moshiach, mm -hmm. so that we should care, we should understand what the true state of the world and ourselves should be. Mm -hmm. And we should actually be in, realize that this is like we're in prison now. We should actually want to get out of the prison. Mm -hmm. That's what he wanted, wanted, made very clear. He wasn't vague about what he wanted. Mm -hmm. How much of us, how much, how much progress have we had? Obviously not <laughs> enough because we're still involved. Would the Rebbe say that now, based on such amazing people in the world today? Only the Rebbe knows that. I can answer that question. So wait, just the Yanagil Mashiach? That was a tour. That's the tour. If you don't know what you're missing, if you, if you think that everything is good now. Now, when I was a Bachar, so in and while we were there on Purim, we went to the prisons. And I remember it was a very painful experience going into the prison and there was a mother there with a little baby. And I was like, what's this baby doing in prison? And obviously they explained this mother had to be in prison. The baby couldn't manage without their mother. So she's nursing and taking care of a baby in prison. So this baby is growing up in a prison, doesn't never see an outside world, doesn't know any better. So they don't know that there's another world outside. So the Inyanigul Mashiach is to learn that this is, this is the prison. <laughs> there is a better world out there and that you can actually access it. So that was the tool to reach the goal that we should actually care and connect with the Rebbe on the level that what, things that were important to him will be important to us. I was walking down the street today and just befriended a person who just happened to be walking by and I said, hi. And he almost jumped at me. I was like, can I ask you a question? I actually had someone waiting in the office for a meeting. But I like, I said, sure, of course. He says, tell me, I have questions if, you know, I'm not sure if I believe in God. So I said to him, would you ask me a question if you believe if there's a fence over here? That wouldn't be a question. If I asked you, do you believe that you exist? That wouldn't be a question. You know that you exist and you know that this fence exists. The only true existence that actually exists that we can know for sure that exists is God. That's the only true existence. So you don't have a question whether you believe in God. That's for sure. So number one, let's not use the word God because you probably have it. all sorts of trapped emotions connect with the word God. So he says, maybe we should use the word creator. I said, yeah, we could use another word like creator. And I said, the fact that the creator is so loving and benevolent and kind is the reality. The fact that sometimes we actually don't feel that 
is because we have the Yitzhahara. We have the evil inclination who gets us to want to feel like we want to do other things. So he says to me, no, you don't understand me. I'm a very self-centered person. I said, so you mean you're human? I said, every human being is self-centered because if we weren't supposed to be, if we were not born self-centered, we would be like angels. And the Malachim, these angels are just robotic. They just do whatever God wants and we would never be able to fulfill the purpose for which Hashem created the world. You have to be self-centered. And the idea is that you should be self-centered, but you should identify with your true self which is God, and what you really want. So you're supposed to be self-centered, but you're supposed to identify with your true self, and the evil inclination helps you, <clears throat> makes you want to identify as another person. But you're not really. I said, why in the world would somebody change their gender, not knowing that he, done, <laughs> he had done that? I said, it's very simple. They're not comfortable with who they are. <coughs> and then he says to me, well, I met a girl and she really messed up my life. And then as a result of that, I messed up my life even more. I said, listen, we all make mistakes. Let's not focus on that. Now I realize I'm talking to a boy. And I said to him, you put on phone yet today? It's 4.30, you know. Not yet. I said, okay, so there's a guy walking by the house and went to put on the floor. So that was the end of that conversation. But the fascinating part of the conversation was we're all self-centered. We all want to do what we want to do. The question is, are we identifying as our true selves or are we trying to change our gender or agenda or whatever you want to call it? Why? Because I need to, I need to fill my own rutsin. I need to be self-centered and do what I want. <laughs> but if I want is what the Abishta wants, and I, now I feel like I want to be somebody else, I have to change my gender to be somebody else. And then I can fulfill my own rutsin. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, but it's, it's illogical to even think that way because realistically speaking, we don't see the Mulchama. We don't see the fight. We don't see the conflict. And we don't see how this is all transpiring and how this is all happening. We actually start to think that we actually want what the Yitzhahara wants. We actually start to feel comfortable with the life that Golos presents to us. Because this is, becomes our reality. So our connection with the Rebbe is connecting with our true inner self with what we really, really want, with what we really care about, with what's really, really important to us. And the only real challenge is not so much how to connect to the Rebbe, because that's easy once you've connected to your true self. It's more about how do I connect with my true self. Instead of looking at how do I connect with God as this outside being, it's more, how do I connect with my inner godly spark that's part of me? 
of who my, my core, my essence of who I really am. As long as we're looking at the Rebbe, the Ebishra, as some, some kind of external being, then it's very, very hard to make the connection. Because in our psyche, we want to really connect with ourselves. And that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Because our real inner self is the Rebbe. Our real inner self is the Ebishter. It's not a bad thing that the Abishta created the world that we, we should want to be have choice. Not a bad thing. Why? We can choose bad, good and we can choose bad. Of course, the Abishta didn't want us to be malachim, didn't want us to be angels. He wanted us to care and make the right choice to do the right thing. But that doesn't mean that because he gave us the choice and we should choose that we should choose bad. So practically speaking, you want to be makusher. It's almost like saying, I want to hacha wala. You know what hacha wala means? I don't. And if you say, I want to be makusher, and it means the same as hacha wala, what does that mean? It's the same difference. But if you break it down, into something simple, something practical, something realistic. I want to be Makusha, okay? Let me take a mimer. Let me hear what you have to say. Let me think about it. What does this mean practically to me? What do you, how do, does this connect with my actual life? It's very different. And then, yes, I want to make an effort to connect with you. you know, Fascinating story. My Zayda, my grandfather, got to know Lubavitch in Tovshin Chav Vov, 1966. And when he became, came to the Rebbe, His first yichidus was over two and a half hours. No. And then over the years, he was in yichidus for many times. And he once sat down and wrote, made a list of all the times he was in yichidus and how long each yichidus was for. And he worked out that he was in yichidus for more than 26 and a half hours. Imagine spending more than a whole day in the Rebbe's room. Pretty crazy. Now, well, one of the things his complaints to the Rebbe was, I got to know Lubavitch. I was very lucky because Rabbi Vogel in England was the shliach, came to me, we're building a new building, and he came for a donation. And I got to meet, got to know about Lubavitch. But you know how many people are out there in the world who don't know anything about Lubavitch? Why doesn't Lubavitch have a book that explains what Lubavitch is? So the Rebbe said to him, do you know somebody that would make something like that? And my grandparents said to the Rebbe, we'll be happy to do it. If we got the guidance from the Rebbe of what should be in the book. And they started to make the first book about Lubavitch. It was called, the Rebbe called it Challenge. The Rebbe called this book Challenge, that the work of Lubavitch should be a challenge to the rest of the world to follow. Now this goes back, this goes till the years of Yud Shavat, Tav Shem Lam. By that time, my mother 
had already left the city of London, um, not a Jewish school. And she had written to the Rebbe, she about she wanted to go off to Israel to do different different places, and her parents weren't very happy with the choices that she wanted to make. She decided she'll write to the Rebbe and explain why it's the right thing for her to go. Anyway, she ended up, to cut a long story short, she ends up in seminary in France, in Lubavitch Seminary, Israfka. And Yudshvat's coming. And there's this huge commotion because the Rebbe is now going to finish off writing the Sefer Torah that the Friedrich Rebbe started to write to greet Mashiach. You can imagine the Rebbe is now going to finish that Sefer Torah. What does that mean? Mashiach is coming. My mother couldn't leave France, but she says to her father, to my grandfather, Daddy, if you don't go, I'll never talk to you again. He was just finishing up the finishes, finishing touches of the book that he was had been working on with the Rebbe for years. It wasn't like today you sit on a computer, make a mistake, delete, you know. Then you made a mistake, you retyped the whole article. Finish the book. The last article in the book is about Shavuos. It's like three quarters of the page left. Finishes off just like three lines or four lines at the top of the page. So it's like almost three quarters of the page empty. So they get quickly get an artist to draw a picture of a, of a Tera. Gets goes to a beautiful book binding place to get a bound really beautiful for the Rebbe. And he goes to the Rebbe. Comes. To Mashiach, Sifatera, there's the whole seum. They were putting the crown. You all see in the pictures. They were putting the crown on the Sifatera. And after the seum, there's a Fabrengan. Fabrengan on Friday. There was a Fabrengan afterwards on the Shabbos. There was lots of Fabrengans. He's sitting by the Fabrengan. I'm not sure if you've ever seen a video of the Rebbe encouraging people by the Fabrengan to say L'chaim. They would go like this. That was a sign to say L'chaim. While he's sitting by the Fabrengen, never turns to him. He goes like this. You know what this means? This means you take a big cup, you fill it up, and you say Lachai. So there wasn't vodka, it was wine. But if you ask people what the wine was like in 1970, it was more like gas then. Gasoline and wine, very, very strong and not very tasty. But the Rebbe tells you, you fill it up, he lifts it up to the Rebbe, huge smile. They connect, say Lachayim, and he drinks a cup of wine. But after that, he felt a little dizzy. So he put his head down onto the table just to relax a little. When suddenly he feels someone tapping him on the shoulder. So he lifts his head up and he looks around. The person next to him points. Points to the Rebbe. He looks up. The Rebbe's staring at him. A huge smile. The Rebbe goes like this. (laughs) Like, no way. All right, here we go again. Fill it up all the way to the top, 
lifts it up. Beautiful connection, L'chaim. This time it took a little longer to finish the cup. And I remember him telling me after the second cup, I didn't feel dizzy anymore. Once he felt, finished the second cup, his head wasn't spinning. Now it was just the walls that were spinning. It wasn't his head. And again, he puts his head down. And this time, going to rest a little bit and get over this second cup. But it didn't take long. There was another tap on his shoulder. And the same thing happens again. Rebbe, once again. And this time it's the third cup. And after the third cup, he didn't put his head down anymore. He just simply went outside to get some fresh air. Fast forward, Yechidus. He's standing outside in Ganed Natachten with this book, Challenge. And Rabbi Krinsky comes. He comes back with the pictures that they just found of the Rebbe. They just found the pictures they just took of the Rebbe putting the crown in the Sevetera. And he says to Rabbi Krinsky, this is unbelievable. I'm making here a book about Lubavitch. And this book, the last article is about Shavuos, about the Torah. And here you have a picture of the Rebbe putting the crown on the Torah. What a way to end the book. Would you mind if I would be the one to actually show this picture to the Rebbe? And he said, sure. He ran to his office, he got tape. He taped it into the book. And then it's his turn to go inside. Now this part's a little embarrassing. <laughs> because when I say that, when he spoke to the Rebbe, it wasn't a typical chassid relationship. It was like a real relationship. It was real, that real, real connect. But it, he turns around to the Rebbe and he says, I know it's been a long time that the Rebbe has been waiting for this book to be finished. Because the Rebbe was constantly encouraging them to finish the book. But he says to the Rebbe, we were waiting for you. And he opens to the back and he shows the Rebbe the picture. We couldn't have done the book without this. And Rebbe looks at the picture and he says, I see there's a picture of me at the end of the book. And I know there's a picture of me in the beginning of the book. Won't people say there's too much Rebbe? This is a book about Lubavitch. And the Rebbe's concern won't people say there's too much Rebbe? So my grandfather, without skipping a beat, he turns to the Rebbe and he says, what? I thought that's what Lubavitch is. The Rebbe in the beginning, the Rebbe in the middle, and the Rebbe at the end. And the Rebbe became very serious and he said, no. Lubavitch is over 200 years old, years old and I'm only 68. Oh, wow. And then he turned with my Zeta and he says, Mr. Rada, we called him Rada, but the Rebbe called him Rada. He says, Mr. Rada, I noticed that you are missing the part of the Fabrega. <laughs> <laughs> so my Zeta nodded and he said, yeah. After that third one, I really needed some fresh air. Rebbe said to him, 
I hope I didn't cause you any harm. So he said to the Rebbe, Chas Shalom, a Rebbe can't cause anyone harm, but I'll be honest with you, I do feel bad that I missed part of the Fabregan. <laughs> the Rebbe said something to him, which to me is probably the most powerful thing from all the that I heard that he had with the Rebbe. This line to me was probably the most powerful line. He said, Mr. Rader, you didn't miss anything. Because when a Rebbe speaks to a chassid, it's neshama to neshama. Now that's very powerful. You see, when we look at his kashras, when we look at having a connection with two pieces of wood, we understand we need a screw or a bolt or, or a nail or some glue or some string. When we look at two people, we all understand. It makes logical sense that you can't use those same tools to connect a person with a person that you will use to connect a piece of wood with a piece of wood. It doesn't work. But why do you think when it comes to creating, connecting a soul to a soul that we could use a piece of wood or something else? Obviously, there are certain tools that you need to make that connection. So when the Rebbe says, nashi that I have written my soul into the books. And when you learn your soul and my soul become one, they become connected. So when we do the things that create the Hiskashos, when we put that effort into learning Chassidus, to learning the Sechas, to learning the Maimarim, then you can create that soul connection. Now you want to feel it also? That's something separate. Then listen and use your physical components. Use your ears and listen. Use your eyes and watch the video. Use your brain and think about what does the Rebbe want. Use your heart to care about what the Rebbe wants and make that effort to give the Rebbe and do what the Rebbe wants. And you can feel that spiritual, emo, spiritual soul connection. Because it's not a question if you learn the mimer, you're connected 100%. But you don't want that. That's not enough for you. You want to feel it physically. So, so connect on a physical level. Listen, look, focus, go on that date. Spend that time where there's nothing else in your life, nothing else going on. You're totally focused on the Rebbe. Build that connection. Make that effort. You'll feel it. I'm going to tell you something mind-blowing that I just found out. Very recently, when I was two and a half years old, not big at all, right? Not like I can say, take any credit for this because I was only two and a half. So obviously this credit goes to my parents. But I'm two and a half years old. And my father found now, he found, he knew what it was the whole time. He didn't find it. He was going through the letters that he wrote to the Rebbe. How does he have the letters if he wrote them to the Rebbe? Whenever he wrote, he wrote a letter 
first a draft of what he wanted to write. And there was obviously mistakes or this or that. When he finished and he had clarity of what exactly what he wanted to write, he repenned the letter without any mistakes. So as a result of that, he had a copy of for himself and he kept that copy of the draft. Or if it was a, sometimes if it was a typed letter, he had made a photocopy of that letter as well. He sends me this letter that he wrote to the Rebbe when I was two and a half years old. Shmaryo, that's my real name. He writes, has a lot of energy. And sometimes gets into mischief. He gets into trouble. When he does, he runs into the living room. Whenever my mother or father will get upset with me. He actually wrote the lounge. That's how we called it in England. Well, we have a large picture of the Rebbe Shlita. And he runs over to the picture and he says, but Rebbe, you'll be my friend. Yeah? <laughs> Adorable. <laughs> Adorable. I just imagine this two and a half year old kid. <clears throat> their mother, their father screaming at them. And probably for good reasons. <laughs> they run for shelter. But Rebbe, you'll be my friend, yeah? You see, I hadn't seen the Rebbe. I lived in England. I had never heard the Rebbe. How would I hear the Rebbe? But I knew that if my mother and father might give up on me, but there's one person who would never give up on me, who I could always turn to. That's not logical. That's not because I had a, an intellectual conversation and I understood <laughs> there's a very special holy man and I know how to connect. No, there was a soul connection that was there. And that soul connection was there then. And that soul connection is stronger now than it ever was. And more accessible now for us to connect than it ever was. If we use the right tools. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I don't get how people that did see the Rebbe still have a relationship with that. Like, I get the before is one type and after is another type. What about the people? I know it's not so relevant to all of us, but like, what about the people that saw it, saw the Rebbe, and then didn't? How do you? So, for example, in, I'm one of those people. I was six years old. I was very lucky that my, my, parent, my father and my Zayda came to the Rebbe, and I came with them as a six year old child. And I had a personal yichidus with the My father and I went into the room, the personal yichidus with the Of course, we came back from my bar mitzvah. And then every time I could possibly come after that, whether it was Tishrei or any other Didan Natsach, whatever experience we could possibly come for, we would fly in.
And I think that that the answer to that is really what we've been speaking about tonight. While we had that, in our minds, our connection was just about us seeing and being there. We didn't realize then how deep the connection really was. We didn't. And because of that, it may, in some extent, some, to a lot of people, have been a very superficial connection. There was, on the other hand, uh, in a way, if you want to call it, if you were with the program, then the Rebbe was, had a Fabrengan on Shabbos, and there was, after Shabbos, there was the notes of the, 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 the highlights of what the Rebbe spoke about Fabrengan that you wanted to get. On Sunday, you wanted to review the highlights of what happened by dollars on that Sunday. Whenever the Rebbe spoke during the week, you wanted to be up, even sometimes it was in England, it was the middle of the night, to listen to the Rebbe. Then there was always going to be the Mesichas the that came out, which was the complete transcript of the full Fabrengan from the week before that came out by Thursday night of the next week. Then there was the Likud that came out, the Rebbe was the Sikha that the Rebbe edited for Shabbos. Then there was a Maimah that would be, was being was editing. So there was like a wealth of stuff. And if you were with the program and you were going to be learning all of that stuff, it was, so to speak, being forced into this, so to speak, connecting because, because you would do, there was so much going on that was feeding into you to learn and be with. But, but I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say in any way, shape or form that that, if you want to call it, affected everybody. It, it, I can be very blunt and say it didn't. And so it really was, if you want to call it, Kimmel Tamos is the perfect excuse. You ever heard of Corona? <laughs> it's the most incredible excuse. Why does a container that costed us $4,000 less to ship stuff from China suddenly cost $20,000? It's Corona. <laughs> Why it didn't come? Well, Corona. Now there's an excuse for everything. It, it, Gimel Tamos is a perfect excuse. It really, really is. Anybody that's looking for one, you got it. But because it's such a perfect excuse, that doesn't mean that. You need, to, you need to fall into the trap of the Yitzhar. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not really, really waiting. That's a very big understatement. And can't wait. And so much looking forward to this moment that we'll see the Rebbe again. And we'll have these Fabrengans again. And we'll be in the base of the Shashlishi. And I believe that the revelations that will be happening then, that we'll see now, will be much greater than anything that was seen back then. But the question is, <coughs> I'm going to be a little bit, maybe I should say blunt. If you had a friend, and there was the opportunity, the time that you got to spend together with your friend, and you were really close, and then for some reason, they had to go, but well, they went on shluchas, okay? So they went away now, and now they're on the other side of the world. Is that a reason now to turn around and say, well, how can I have a relationship with them? No. So when you look at Gimel Tamos, then nothing, yes, what changed was that 
physical appearance and they're never talking to us and all of those things, it was like we were together and now never so to speak, went on a greater shluchas to do whatever he has to do to make the go'ola happen or maybe to create a void that we should actually make it happen, whatever the, the cause may be or reasons may be. But he's, it's not like he's gone. Chas v'shalom. There can't be a world without a Rebbe. That's why the idea of tzad, that's the idea of tzaddik yusayid elam, that there's a tzaddik who's the foundation of the world. The world can't exist without <clears throat> It's not that the Rebbe is gone, but it's a different state of being. So somebody who was there and experienced it, and then their friend went on shlechus, how do they still stay connected? I don't think that, I don't think you thought of it in that perspective, right? I'm just wondering, do like most of the people that saw the Rebbe have a closer relationship now? Like, would you say that? Depends. It depends. Everything, everything depends on the words you use with effort. You can't say that because we saw the Rebbe then, so now we have a closer relationship. It could be, and I have friends, but don't keep anything. <laughs> I think what you said, like people who were with the program then, the program still stayed. You know, they learned passionately then, and then they No, unfortunately, no. I guess it's people that I know. Yeah. Unfortunately, no. There are Baruch Hashem people that it stayed, but, but, but they never maintained the fire fire and passion that they had and there's people who today have a stronger fire and passion than they had then i don't think there's rules you can say everybody is in the same we're all different but it all boils down you know so if i was to summarize because i think sometimes you speak a lot you want to be able to get the point We all want to be connected to the Rebbe. The question is, what does that practically mean? If the word is is some kind of word that we don't really understand, connect with, or know what it means, how to do it, then we can say I want something, but I don't know what I want, and I don't know how to do it, that's very different. But if, on the other hand, we understand what it means to build a Kesha, a kesha with the Rebbe is neshama to neshama. And when your neshama does what the Rebbe, learns the Rebbe's teira, we become connected with the Rebbe. When you mekai in the Rebbe's teira, you become connected to the Rebbe. Then there's the people that come and say, it's true, but that's on a spiritual level. I want to feel connected on a physical level. So connect on a physical level. How? The same way you would connect with any other person. Listen. Pay attention, understand, use your ears, listen, use your eyes, focus, look at them. Um, this story you said about like Rabbi loving their friend. It's very easy to say that today, for people to say that today, because of course it's two way, but like when you have your parents who are getting upset at you, it's very easy to realize that's not good. I will try to do what makes them happy. Right here, like, it's a lot harder to like, of course, that was going to be there for me. Like, that really a chassid relationship is very like, there will always be there for me, but it's very hard to like, before Gamatam was you and we saw when Rebbe got upset for people that care to pay attention. But like, all those kinds of things where today we talk, I mean, it's important to talk about the good, 
Do you get what I'm saying? It's very easy to say, oh, of course, third is going to be my friend, but how do we know when, like, Finish off the statement so I can understand you. How do we know when? Like, how do we know when Rem is not so happy? That's so negative. I want to. I want to ask. You, I want to ask you. I want to ask you. I want to ask you a question. Okay. First of all, I think I understand you, but before I answer you, I want to make sure I do. I think that what you're saying is that it's beautiful to speak about the Rebbe and his love for us and the things that make the Rebbe happy and the connection the Rebbe has to us. But is there a negative side as well where the Rebbe gets upset with us? And if you say that there isn't, we've actually seen times by the Fabrengen how the Rebbe is screaming and shouting and really frustrated. So this seems to be like a time, a way that the Rebbe could be getting frustrated with us. So I'm... We don't talk about that. So I believe if I understood you correctly, you're asking, is there such a thing that exists by the Rebbe that he doesn't, that he gets upset with us? Right. Yeah? Yeah. Is that exactly what you're asking or am I missing something? That. Because I can't answer you if I'm missing something. No, no, it was that. And that slipped my head. I think it's also like, your parents will say you knew right away that they were upset. Oh, I don't know what to say. Like, it gets a little careless. Like, it's fine. Never loves me anyway. Or like, there was always going to be there for me. So like, it's fine. Like, it just, it's easier to just crush things off when it's like, no, actually there cares more than anyone else would. Like, just adding to that. So I, I want to just give you an example. What just happened to you? Okay. You spoke. I was listening. I tried to pay attention to what you were saying. I got probably a part of what you were saying, but I think I missed the main point of what you were saying. Because the main point of what you were saying was not so much is there a possibility that the Rebbe sometimes is frustrated with us, but actually is it good to, just to say, don't worry, the Rebbe, will, Rebbe, you'll be my friend. Maybe, actually, that could cause negativity. I could actually become careless. Because don't worry, the Rebbe will always love me anyway. He'll always be my friend. Right? So, when you don't listen, right? And I, I don't think I was trying to not pay attention. I think I was trying to pay attention. But then if you really want to listen, you really want to be able to understand somebody and be able to connect with somebody and care about what they care about, you need to be able, for example, mirroring, which is what I just did now, to repeat back what I heard, could be a very important part in building that connection. If you don't do it, you think you heard, you try to answer, and you're not even answering what they spoke about. Right? So, for example, now that I do understand what you're saying, hopefully, I'll say to you like this. I'm going to start off answering the first point, which I which I got, and then I'm going to get to the second point, which I wouldn't have answered, wouldn't have got to, had you not brought that up that I was missing something. But based on the first point, I want to say like this: when a mother and father have a child, is their love for that child based on anything that they do? 
the child is a newborn child that you're holding in your hand. Is that love for that child based on anything that the child did? No. Now, I'm not discussing what happens later on in a person's life. If the child starts to misbehave <clears throat> or the parents have challenges that they're going through and they're very, very stressed, I'm not discussing any of that because that's just a covering over the deep essential love that every parent has for their child. The love that the Abishter has for a yid, the love that the Rebbe has for every yid is not based on what you do or you don't. Does not. You're their child. And by the by the and by the Rebbe, they're healthy parents. Healthy parents in the sense that they don't allow, you know how many times you can have a, a child who when you're, you, we're human beings. We might be parents, but we're also human beings. And sometimes a, a child could be frustrating. It happened. Sometimes they could be annoying. And sometimes as human beings, you can get frustrated with your kids. Is that taking away from the love that you have for your child? Or is that actually just a reflection that I'm stressed right now and I can't deal with this right now and I really, really love you, but like, I can't handle this. So by the Rebbe, you don't have that default or that, that, that fault of the, of the human fault of, of him getting frustrated with you. No. When I say no, I mean never. Does the Rebbe have pain from the fact that we're not doing what we have to do? Yeah. But his love for us and his pain for us is, in essence, we're one soul. Much greater than the love and the, that a mother or father have for a child, which they're physically one essence. This is spiritual. It's much greater. Our DNA, not physical, spiritual, is the Rebbe. We're part of the Rebbe. And he feels that. And he loves us not because of what we do. Does he get nachas when we do good things? Yes. Is he in pain when we do bad things? Yes. Does that affect the relationship that we have with the rapper? No. In fact, maybe it strengthens it. It strengthens it when we do good things that he feels the nachas and it strengthens it. And when we're not doing what we're supposed to, he feels that pain and that also strengthens it. Now, how we respond to that is a whole different story. You want to take advantage that the devil loves you anyway? You can do that. The fact that he causes him pain doesn't bother you. It's a once obviously you are you want a one-sided relationship. You obviously want that one-sided relationship, no problem. The Hiskashus is not about him connecting with us. He's Be'etzem Mekorshe with us. The Hiskashus is our opportunity that the Rebbe gave us, that the Abishta gave us, 
for us to connect with him. Did that answer your question? I'm going to process that, yes. I feel like sometimes the child needs to put in more effort because the, the care and the love from the parent is going to be automatic because of how much, because, because of no because of, and the amount of giving that the, the parent has done has created a, a bond from the parent's point, but not necessarily is, did the child put that effort in? Sometimes the child needs to put in more effort to feel the connection. It's so true what you're saying. And to add to it, it's not only the work, sometimes the child doesn't even appreciate. They don't even know what it was like to carry them for nine months. They don't know what it took to be up for two years straight nursing them. They don't know how you slept to doctor's appointments and how they slept to, to, to buy things. And they don't know how there was so many times in life that you were able to go and buy yourself a new dress and you were able to buy, go buy yourself a piece of jewelry or to do something that you go, go, and go somewhere that you would appreciate and enjoy and you gave it all up for this kid. They don't even know. They have no idea. They just grow up and expect and expect and expect and expect more. So what you're saying is so true but not only that they don't put the work in, they don't even appreciate what they got. And maybe sometimes as human beings, parents find it very hard where I've given, I've given, I've given, I've given. There's zero appreciation. And not only you don't appreciate, but you, you, you just want more. And you're never happy with what I do for you. So that's where I think that, can, that mirror to the Rebbe would be the question that we were asking. Does that apply to, by the Rebbe to us? And the answer is no. Because the Rebbe is above that. He's above that he's going to get burnt out. <laughs> As parents, we can get burnt out. But the Rebbe is not getting burnt out. But does the Rebbe feel the pain? For sure. My father's a dentist. And in England, the way it works with dentistry is that all the people who work for the government have to dedicate two weeks a year that they will be up, be on call 24 hours a day. That means after they finish their, their shift, they needs to be, the government needs dentists that will be available in the evenings as well. So if you work for the government and the national health, you have to be available for those two weeks. That means anyone in your area that has a toothache, they could call you two o'clock in the morning. Makes no difference. <laughs> So my, my mother is used to this two-week period where she's can get woken up in the middle of the night. What's the matter? Someone's on the phone. My tooth, my tooth. You can't wait till the morning. <laughs> go back to sleep. Take a Tylenol. Go back to sleep. Lost me up. It's a little tiny tooth. You'll be okay. No. It's killing me. My head is plotting. I can't manage. So one year for Yitzvat, 
It's a very big celebration in England. And she was the guest speaker. There was press. It was a huge event. There was press there. And she wanted to describe to the people there, including Goyim, what does it mean to have a Rebbe? And she told over how her husband's a dentist and how they have this thing every two, two weeks a year. And he says, the head feels the pain of every single part of the body. No matter how significant, insignificant this little piece might be, the head feels the pain. And the head can't rest and go back to sleep until that pain is taken care of. And that's the Rebbe. The Rebbe is the Reish B'nai Yisrael, the head of the Jewish people. He feels physically, feels the pain when there's someone in the most far-flung part of the world. The Rebbe feels that pain. The next day, in the newspapers, the title that they wrote was to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, every Jew is like a pain in the tooth. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, the Rebbe does feel, the Rebbe does feel the pain. Powerful story. We've all we've all heard the different incredible stories that constantly ha- that happened that constantly happen, and how the Rebbe the Rebbe is is very connected to us. And the real this is what Yitzvah is. Yitzvah is the day that the Rebbe he said, "I'm going to become Rebbe." He took he took he took that upon himself, which means I'm going to be connected to you. The question for you, Chvat, is not, is the, is the Rebbe going to become Rebbe? He did that. The question for you, Chvat, is are we going to become Chassidim? Are we going to connect with the Rebbe? That's a very big difference. And how? Neshama to Neshama. 
It's neshama to neshama. Mr. Rada, you didn't miss anything. Very powerful story. When, a chassid, when the Rebbe speaks to a chassid, it's neshama to neshama. So the nekudah is, if you think about it from that perspective, the clarity, the clarity is the Rebbe is talking to us. If you turn off your phone, no one can get through to you. Even if someone keeps calling, keeps trying, and keeps calling, and keeps trying, but you've turned off your phone. I do that the whole time. It's a very cool mechanism. When you turn your phone back on, sorry, my phone was off. And the Yitzhahara tries, tries to tell us to do exactly that. That's what the Yitzhahara tries to do. Just turn off your phone. Just turn off your phone. What does that mean practically? It means let's just break, let's just break down that connection. Let's let's stop that connection from, from allowing it to flow into me. It's not that we need to create something. We are in essence one. It's not a question, do I believe in God? <laughs> no. That's not the question. God is the only true existence. The question is, do I believe in myself? Am I ready to connect with my true self, who I truly, really are? What's my true identity? Or am I trying to create a new identity? Because if I connect with my true identity, and that's God, if I connect with my true identity and that's my neshama, if I connect with my true identity and that's the Rebbe, then it means I want to do what the to want. And currently, I feel like I want other things. But I'm self-centered. I can only do what I want. So I have to change my identity and say, no, that's not who I am. That's not what I really want. I really want something else. Or we can say no. I'm going to identify as a chassid. I'm going to identify as a yid. I'm going to identify as a chassid. That's who I am. I'm going to join the Rebbe's army. I'm going to be committed to this mission. And I'm going to make sure that we complete this mission. I'm, I'm part of this army, and I'm dedicated to completing this mission and making sure it actually happens. That's different. Why is it different? Because as long as I believe in who I, that I am, I am someone else, then how can I really connect with my true self? And if I do, it'll be on a superficial level. When it becomes real is when you, start, when you say to yourself, no, this is who I am. And this is what I really want. Then when there are times that you feel otherwise, which happens because you're a human being and you have an Afshabamas and you have a Yetzirah, then we can turn around and say, go away, Yetzirah, go away. You're evil. You're an enemy. That's not me. That's not what I want. I'm going to fight you. But until I identify that's who I am 
And that's what I'm committed to. And that's what I'm dedicated to all the way. When the Yitzhahara comes, it becomes so confusing. Because you actually really feel that's what you want. I mean, I'm assuming that I'm not the only one who has a Yitzhahara. I don't know, maybe I am, but I'm assuming that you also have a Yitzhahara. And I don't know what way your Yitzhahara plays with your head, but that doesn't make a difference. It's a diff. whatever, I can tell you one thing, I know what he's going to play with your head. Whatever is important for you, and where will he play with my head, whatever is important for me, that's what's going to happen. So when the Yitzhahara comes to me and he says to me, come on, you know, this is, you know that you enjoy this. You know this feels great. You know this is what you want. If I've identified as a soldier, to be able to be in the Rebbe's army, to be in Hashem's army, to fight this war, then, then I have the possibility to turn around and say, you're the enemy. But if I haven't identified that way, then maybe I could just simply choose. Okay, I'll identify to be here now. And because, I, because I do enjoy it, it does feel good. Or, or I don't want to do this now, it's too difficult. No problem. No problem. It's too difficult. Just identify now as the Yitzhahara soldier or somewhere in the middle. And then it's okay. If you're not a soldier and you're not committed to war, so I'm not going to be all the way here, and I won't be all the way here, I'll just choose a new identity. Why is it that it's so pathetic for people to believe that someone's going to change their gender? That's like crazy, right? But to change the agenda, that's okay. What does that mean? Who are we? Who are we? Of course, we're going to be self-centered. But who are we? What do I want, truly? The nature of a struggle is that it's a struggle. Meaning, it's not, you're no. going to lose a lot. <laughs> If it's a struggle, because then that's what a struggle means. Struggle Let's identify mean. what you're saying. Stop for a second and listen for a second. Okay? The nature of a struggle is a struggle. Meaning that when there's a struggle, it's not a smooth, we're not malach, it's not a smooth sail. Right. And there's going to be a situation where, the, where there's going to be, the enemy is going to fight with us. And it's going to be a struggle, and sometimes we're going to win, and sometimes we're going to lose. Right? right? And therefore. And therefore, like what are you meant to, like the, the nature of a lot of minds is that we aim for perfection, or we know, or take this Kashras, for example, we're talking about like a lot of us know, or are learning, and now know what to, what ideally we should be doing. I personally am a very lazy person. And like, there's a lot of things that I know I should be doing 
and I I just can't. I know you can't say. I haven't got that yet. Yeah, you yeah, they're just hard, so you don't do that. They're hard. Like the definition of hard is that it's hard. <laughs> is that you can't. I see that you're consistent. The definition of a struggle is a struggle, <laughs> no, and the definition of hard is hard. Yeah, I'm saying if you. Let me, let me, I would like to repeat what I'm hearing because I don't know if I'm understanding. I heard what you said, but I don't know if I understand you. What I'm hearing is that the Abishta created us not to be Malachi. He dafka wanted us to be here in this world and to struggle. And the nature of a struggle is that we're going to, we're going to be struggling and it's going to be difficult. And sometimes we're going to win and sometimes we're going to lose. So that part I understood. In other words, I understood what you said, but I don't understand what 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 you want to accomplish with what you say. And therefore, right. And therefore, do you have tips? <laughs> so I think that the first tip is being honest and real that your life is a struggle and recognizing that and being able to identify what is the struggles. In other words, like this. This is very, very, very straightforward, very simple to understand. I didn't say simple to do. But I think that it's if you're asking for a practical advice, this is where it's at. There's many situations in life where we have challenges. We had adversity, we have challenges, and we choose to turn our back on the challenge. I remember when I grew up, there was several special needs children in our community. They were literally, they grew up on their own. There was never such a thing as friendship circle or some of the amazing programs that exist. <coughs> One of the most unbelievable things that Hask did was they got people to say, we're not so different. You can look at me. I'm also a human being. I also have feelings. You can say, don't, don't shy away from me because I can't do everything that you can do. What was so powerful about that? Very, very simple. There was a challenge and people weren't ready to face the challenge. Make sense? When you're in that kind of setting and you're in a situation where there's a challenge and you're not ready to face it, you're most probably going to lose the challenge. You're not facing it. Imagine there was a soldier who walked onto, onto the battlefield with no uniform and no gun. And all of a sudden, the enemy come to attack. And he's like, guys, take a chill. <laughs> why are you fighting? He goes, what do you mean, why are you fighting? There's a war going on. There's no war. There's no war. There's no war. They come to outside. Your side, my side, there's no sides. 
Sure, I'll come to your side. And then you see another soldier who goes out to the battlefield with a uniform, with a gun, with the best ammunition. And before they come to attack, he proactively attacks them. What would you say is a better soldier? Soldier number one or soldier number two? Number two. I don't know. Number two. <laughs> Why none of them? Why is he attacking? Why is he attacking the enemy? Yeah. Can't, you can't, he can't, he can't defend himself from this joke. There's the enemy, and that's one. Enemy equals attacking. <laughs> so it depends. If there's no war, then what's, what in the world is soldier number two doing? She's 100% right. If there's no war, why are you attacking? It depends if there's really a war or not. So if there's no war, what happens is practically, you're gonna go out there and attack, you're, you're a crazy guy, right? But if there's a real war and you walk out there and say there's no war, then you're the crazy guy. But who do we live like every day? Soldier number one or soldier number two? See, that's the bigger challenge. It depends what the enemy looks like. If we don't have a clue what the enemy is or who the enemy is, and we don't realize that some of the things in our life that we're doing, we're actually, we, that we love and that we feel so connected to and that we can't disconnect from are actually our enemy controlling us in the most deceivable way. So it's not a problem to have a challenge. It's not, that's what the Abishta wants. It's not a problem to fail the challenge. That Abishta knows you're gonna fail the challenge. It's not, that's not the issue that it's difficult. The issue is your mindset. Is, is this, am I, am I ready to be a soldier? Is there a war? And if there's, a, if there's no war, I don't need to be a soldier. But if there is a war, then I do need to be a soldier. Then I do need the intelligence to understand and know which part of my life is me, is what I really want, and which part of my life is my enemy, who, who I might lose. It's okay. But at least I know it's the enemy. But you never want to identify as the enemy. What is this whole new thing of identifying as someone else? It's not random. It's us. We're identifying, instead of identifying as a soldier of Hashem's army, we're identifying as a soldier in the Yitzhar's army. So practically, it's not that you're going to change your life tomorrow or tonight and suddenly everything in your life is going to work out differently and you're going to suddenly now have no more struggles or it won't be, more di it won't be difficult, but it's very, very different. I grew up as a kid. The thing that was most important to me in my life was my soccer ball. I don't know if you've ever could imagine 
what it means, Kiheim Chayenu, Vaerech Yomenu, Vahem Nege Yemon Volaila. In school, when I was sitting in class, I never sat back on my chair. I was always sitting at the edge of my chair because I was waiting for the bell to ring so I could run outside and play. <laughs> I was about 14 years old. It was Yutzvat. And some Meshuggah, I still want to know who he is in America. Sent the facts. That was the level of communication in those days. With an idea for people, for the fact that it was our Bar Shana, 40 years of the Rebbe's Nasiris, to learn 40 Memorim Balpe. Each person. Now I'm crazy. So I decided that I'm gonna do it. My parents, my teachers, my friends, everyone thought I had lost the plot. But for that month, there wasn't a moment that I picked up a soccer ball. Every recess, Every time on the bus on the way to school, on the bus on the way home from school, after that, instead of the park, it was yeshiva to sit and learn these 40 memorial And I unfortunately didn't get to 40 or 30 or 20 or 10 or five or four or three. I didn't learn more than two and a half memoir. But I let go. It's the first time in my life that I let go. It was only for a month. But I let go. There's an opportunity for me to turn around and say to the Rebbe, I want to do, I want to be connected. Now, did that mean that after that I never touched a soccer ball? No. That was different after that. It was different. There was a feeling like you know, if I may say this, if I'm allowed to say this, I think that some of us, if you've never had the feeling of connection in your life with another person, you, 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 there's nothing, that you can't explain what it is. But when you actually had a feeling of connection, honestly, there's nothing more valuable. Nothing. There's things that we enjoy. There's things that we appreciate in life. But then there's the deeper things in life that are so valuable to us, and that's the connection. And when that connection happens, 
and you felt it, it was like, nothing gets close, nothing gets close. And that doesn't mean that I became a tzaddik. That doesn't mean that I don't struggle. But one thing that I will tell you is that I identify as a soldier. I know the Rebbe is the general. I know there's a war. And I know the Rebbe needs soldiers to finish this war. And a lot of us could turn around and say, I don't want to be a soldier. I want to be a spectator. Have you ever heard of the Chazer? The Chazer was someone who was able to know his previous Golgolim. The Golgolim, the, the reincarnations, the times that he was here in this world. It's funny because I once heard the story being said over in the name of someone else, but who, who doesn't make a difference who it was. But he says that his he remembers the Gilgal when he was first came down to this world as one of Yaakov's sheep. And then the next time he came down to this world, he was one of the Bnei Yisrael who left Mitzrayim. So they asked him a question. Whose side were you on? Moshe? Okay, so he turned around and he said, I was standing in the middle. So they said, what? Moshe Rabbeinu? Kairach? He said, very funny. Hindsight is 2020. <laughs> now you look back and you see the Kairach was swallowed up in the ground. <laughs> Whose side were you on? How got? At the moment, it looked really real. Moshe Rabbeinu was going to the Ayah. Right? She would go to the Isle of Mayed and he would speak to the Abishter. He came back and reported in the name of God. Kedach <laughs> came along with practical arguments. Standing in the middle. It's so much easier for us to stand on the side. It's not that I don't believe the Rebbe will take us out of Golos. It's not that I don't believe that Mashiach can come right this moment. I'm actually looking forward. I'm waiting for it to happen. I am. I really believe. I believe it's going to happen. And I'm really waiting for it to happen. Just let somebody else do it. Ever felt that way before? It's not that I don't believe in the Rebbe. It's not that I don't want to be part of this. Just don't put that responsibility on me. Don't make me responsible. And the answer is no. That's what the Rebbe cries by the Maimer and says, whether you like it or not, you were given this, you were put here in Deir Ashri. This is where we, this is, was given, this, this task was given to us. So it's not that it's not a struggle. Of course it's a struggle. It's meant to be. It's not that it's going to be easy to do. 
course it's going to be difficult. But at the same time, what, who, how do you identify? What you're saying is that you should just be not just but be aware of the struggle and forever see it. I don't see it as okay where just in the background, like constantly see it as a struggle. Exactly. Imagine somebody running a race. Mm-hmm. You know what? You ever heard, seen those races where you have like, you know, like the barricades that we have on Kingston, those metal barricades? They have like a what's it called? Those races where you have to jump over those over the Imagine somebody, instead of believing, realizing that's the kind of race that they're, that they're fighting, they'll, they'll, they'll think it's a regular race that they have to run. What's going to happen? Every time they come to a barricade, they get hit. And you get to a point where you feel like, I don't want to run anymore. Stop. I don't want to get hit like that. But if you went into the race knowing that every time you went over the barricade, you hit another level, and you're and now you're going. Then you look forward to these ba- barricades. Each time your eyes are open, waiting for them, because that's going to hit, take you to the next level. It's not that it's going to hurt you. It, this is going to be what's going to take me to the next level. This struggle, this saga is going to be my tzayar. It's going to be my my window of opportunity. So instead of dreading every struggle you look forward to that it's a very different approach that's what this is the Rebbe's capital Shir HaMalis, Rebbe says what are we singing, why is David HaMalaf singing not just singing Shir HaMalis, he's singing higher and higher what's he singing about Shir HaMalis Hashem is singing to the Ebishter, why Batsarasali, he's got Tsaras you ever seen a person that's got sardis that's singing? What's the, what's the deal? You know what the deal is. But Sarasali is true that he has sardis. But Karasi Vayaneni. He has a nosy. This is what the said to the children by the rally. David HaMalach knew he had a commander-in-chief that Karasi that he could call out to him. Vayaneni and he would answer him. So even though he had a challenge, Rebbe, you'll be my friend. You know it's going to be okay. But then the Rebbe brings the Baal Shem Tov. And he takes it to a whole new level. Baal Shem Tov says, you know, want to know what the, the word of Tzara, Tzara Taka means Sardis, right? But if you turn around the letters, Tzara is Soyar, which means a bright light, a window, right? Tzara Tasa Teva. You want to know why Dabar Malach was singing? Because he never saw the Tzara as a Tzara. He saw it as a window of opportunity. So we have struggles, and they're great. You have your struggles, and I have my struggles. There's two ways we can look at our struggles. One of them is doomsday. Our life's falling apart, and everything is crashing down on us, and who knows what's going to be. Or we can look at it as a tzayah, this is an amazing window of opportunity. We can constantly bang into our struggles and get beaten up and then feeling like I'm not interested and get burnt out and feeling like I, I don't, I'm not such a good person. Or we can look at all the amazing opportunities that we have. And each time we win another struggle, get excited. 
And and we do, we do, we win. We have so many battles that we win. And yet we can turn around and say, I'm not such a good chassid. Not fair to yourself. There's so much good. There's so much good. So you missed it. So you get so you got beaten over the head. But that only works when you really realize that it's, that, that it's a box. Imagine somebody went into a boxing ring and the guy comes over and will smash the guys in the guy in the face. And he turns around to the guy and he says, What are you doing? What did I do to you? I did nothing. You know, you know what the guy's gonna do? Hit him again. Because his job is to knock you down. And part of knocking you down is knocking you down, knocking the way you feel. <laughs> it's his best way when he can knock you down and get you to feel down about yourself. <laughs> He's got you. It's not not good. It's just so lazy. lazy. It doesn't mean not good. Yeah. Great I don't think we're so lazy. Yeah, I don't think so lazy. No, even you. I think that there are, I think there's a lot of good that you're doing. Do you have a battle plan? Do you have a battle plan? No. So it's basically all or nothing, right? Either I'm going to be now, stop being lazy and do everything like it's a dictus. Or I might as well be lazy. Right? That's how he tells you, right? <laughs> Not true. Imagine you had a battle plan. Now I'm going to do this. And you get that done. Now I'll do this. I get that. Anyway, Lachaim, is it an hour yet? <laughs> yeah? Lachaim, <laughs> Lachaim. I hope, I hope I didn't t- take you away from wherever you had to be for too long. Thank you for this special schuss to be able to bring. Thank you. Hashem will be able to do what the Ebishta wants, do what the wants. We'll join the army, fight the enemy. And a good part of the of, of service Hashem is that we know that we're on the winning team. Amen. And this is the Maimur this the, of, of Basit Lagani last year and the year before was all about Tzivas Hashem. You know what this year is all about? Bizbus You have everything going for you. Nothing that they wish they won't give you to win the war. So it's going to be amazing. Amen. Amen. But as long as there is, let's fight. Chaim, Chaim.